0: If you'll turn, please, to Romans in chapter four. Romans in chapter four, please. Hope you appreciate just a little bit Ryan's uh, emotion as he prays. You all get to sing and cry and do whatever you want sitting in the pew. We have to talk. And so we, we're worshiping with you uh, even, as we, even as we lead. So I appreciate his heart. You'll see before you as we come to the word a prayer of illumination <clears throat> that we'll pray together. It's from Psalm 119. It's simply the text of that section. So let's pray together. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that have come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes, as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word, amen. Romans chapter four, begin reading with verse nine. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith has, was counted to Abraham as righteousness, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham, and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inherit of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told so shall your offspring bring be." He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, but when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Every time I read through Romans 4, I have to tell you that I'm stunned. Stunned by the wisdom of God. Stunned by the faithfulness of God and stunned by the power of God. You see, Paul is laying out for us in this section of Romans, I hope really, this will surprise you to get to verse 25 today to get all of this done, uh, if God will help me. But, but um, um, he's, he's in this particular section laying out for us this uh, great doctrine by which we live, which we call justification by faith in Christ alone. And he, he, he laid this out. He said, this is the gospel. He says, the gospel, remember in chapter one, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. You see, that's, that's the, the gospel. And it's for everyone, for both Jew and Greek, all who believe, you see. And, 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 and it was in the old covenant as well as the new covenant. For he quotes in that little sentence, that expression, the prophet Habakkuk when he says, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. And then he says, tells us the necessity of all of that and he sums it up in chapter three, verse 23, a verse we're well familiar with. All have sinned and fallen short of or lack the glory of God. We've trespassed against God. We've gone where we shouldn't. We've sinned against him. We haven't gone where we ought. And we lack his glory, you see. The glory with which he created us. The glory to worship him. The glory to, to reflect him in, in, in our lives. And We, we lack that because, because of our sin. We're unrighteous. And therefore, he says, we're all under the wrath of God. This righteous response of God to our rebellion against him, the wrath of God. But he says that there is a righteousness that's been manifested apart from the law, and it's through faith in Jesus. This word, but, in verse 20. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The law and the prophets testify to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And listen to this. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, you see. Now. When we get to that point, we realize, yes, there's hope for us uh, through Jesus, the one who's taken our sin upon himself and given to us his righteousness, and we come to that not by our merit, not because of what we do, but through faith, that is trusting in him. Faith in Jesus. Faith always needs an object, we've said that object is Jesus. The point is, is that reasonable? Is that right to do? Is it right to trust Jesus? And it's always rational to trust a promise if the maker of the promise is trustworthy. It's always rational, it's always reasonable for us to trust the maker of a promise if the maker, to trust the promise if the maker is, is trustworthy. And it's powerful to be able to bring it about. And you see, that's what God has done for us in Jesus. And so, through faith in him, we can be declared righteous. And that's why we cry when we sing. That's why we, we laugh when we sing. That's why we rejoice when we sing about this justification that is by faith because it's, it really is amazing grace. Right, It just amazes us. If it doesn't amaze you, then you haven't gotten it yet. Right, It's amazing grace. And so we can't boast, he says, in ourselves. We can boast in the Lord. We don't boast in ourselves, we boast in him. And because it's a way of faith, nothing that we do, he says then this means that God is the God of everyone who comes to him. Not just Jews, but Gentiles. So everyone who comes to him by faith is one God, has one way, one one people. And then in chapter 4, Paul begins to to dig deeper and you can only imagine I suppose that as a Pharisee which he was before coming to faith in Jesus that was his identity as this religious leader in in Israel as a Pharisee he no doubt had all kinds of objections he could list them out why this gospel wasn't true so much so that he became a persecutor of the church And and I suspect even when he went into synagogues, after he came to faith, and he went into synagogues as he was going around traveling and presenting the gospel and all of that, that these same objections would come to him. What about Abraham? Wasn't he righteous? Because he was righteous because he had obeyed God. So Paul begins down that route. And he says, you know better than that. You know that the scripture says, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And if it was counted as righteousness, it wasn't by his work, but through his faith. And his faith wasn't the work that got him the reward of righteousness. Faith is simply the means through which he received this righteousness. This is true of David too. David's sin wasn't counted to him. We know it was counted to another. And then we get to verse 9. That's all a review, by the way. Then we get to verse 9, and and he then asks another question, and this about circumcision, which was the sign of the Old Covenant. He says, well, doesn't, doesn't that mean anything? Doesn't, having been circumcised, say that we're of the seed of Abraham, so that therefore... This salvation is sort of automatically ours. And and, and Paul says, no, let's think about this too. When was Abraham circumcised? Well, we would say in Genesis 17. (laughs) And he would say, well, when was Abraham justified? And we would say, well, Genesis 15. And there were many, many years between Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. So his circumcision really didn't bring about his justification as being declared righteous by God, as being accepted by God. And so then what was it? Well, then he goes into what we know, because I say this every time we do a baptism, that the sign, that this circumcision is simply a sign and a seal of the righteousness that is apart from the law, that is by faith, how does he put it, verse 11? See, I'm telling you, when I do these things, I don't make this up, I was just quoting the scripture every time I baptized these people. He says, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. In other words, he was declared righteous before he got the sign, so the sign didn't save him. The sign wasn't the reason why he was justified. It, it happened a long time. And, and you get this sense again, this is the wisdom of God and laying all of this out throughout the ages that he put a, a big distance between declaring Abraham justified and giving him the sign. To say that, no, the sign didn't bring the justification, the sign was given before Abraham did anything at all because it was a sign of the righteousness that he had by faith. It didn't point so much to Abraham as much as it pointed to God who declared him righteous. And it was a seal. It said that what this signifies, that you're in covenant with God, what this signifies, that you are justified before God through faith is really true. As we've said so many times, you know, in certain times in history, um, a person would write a note and put it in an envelope and seal it with a particular seal that was that person's seal. And what this said is when you received this note and you looked at that seal, you said, ah, this is really from whoever it was. That it was from. This, this. What's inside this is authentic. It's true. It's trustworthy. You can depend upon it as being from that person. And so God signs his covenants in various ways. And with the old covenant was through circumcision. Through the seed of Abraham, if you will. But his point was those who come by faith. Always, as we've mentioned in the old covenant, circumcision was to reflect what was true in the heart. And so even though his eight-day-old infant boys in Israel were given this sign, and even though we give the sign in the same way to our infants, to our children, it doesn't save them. Never saved anyone in ancient Israel, those little boys who were circumcised, it didn't save them at all. But what it did was that you, you have this promise, you're an heir of this promise, the promise of Abraham, the promise of righteousness that is by faith, just like Abraham. And thus, when we baptize our little ones, we say, you have this, this, you're heir to this promise, this promise that there's cleansing, this promise that there's righteousness, there's justification through faith. And if those little boys didn't believe and the children of of Israel didn't believe, then they'd be cut off. That was what what that sign said. In the same way, our children will be drowned, our children will be washed away not cleansed, if they do not believe. That's the essence of it. So he said, circumcision doesn't save, never did, never saved Abraham. But, and and so, so here's the wisdom. I, I, every time I read this, I just have to stop and see the wisdom of God. He said, see, what I'm telling you is that since the very beginning of this, the children of Abraham were never his physical descendants. Oh, in one sense, yes, of course. But God says, my point in covenant, what I really have been after all the time, is the spiritual descendants of Abraham. He, he, he says this in chapter 2, verse 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and, 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 and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from Man, but from God, you see. And so that's been the point of it all along. And so in a very real sense, when Paul says that the, the law and the prophets attest to this gospel, he's saying that's really true. It's sort of what, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, what St. Augustine has always put it, and that is the old is in the new revealed. When we read the New Testament, Oh, we we, we see it, you see. It reveals all of this in the old. And, and, And the new is in the old concealed. We don't quite see it. God's bringing us along in what we call the history of redemption from Genesis on through, you see. That's why... If our church is known for anything, it's known that we're big story people. We're the big picture people. We're from the very beginning. We've been emphasizing this, this, this beginning from Genesis all the way through the history of redemption. How do we understand that? Well, Paul's in the midst of this right now. And he's, he's laying, this, laying this out and he's saying, see the wisdom of God. See the faithfulness of God to bring this about. See the power of God that he did, in fact, bring it about. And then verse 13, he says, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring, spiritual offspring, that's his point in this whole context, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world. Now you go, wow, that's big. (laughs) You know, when, when God first met Abraham, that was his name. Um, he gave him a promise of land, a parcel of land, the land of Canaan. Uh, Compared to the whole world, that's a really small portion. But somehow, in Paul's mind and in the truth of Scripture, that grew from that little piece of land to the whole world. Now, we catch glimpses of that, of course. Remember the promise to Abraham? Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. You go, okay, he's gonna have this little piece of land that he really never really got. But he's gonna have this little piece of land, and, but it's gonna impact the whole world, all the families, all the nations of, of the world. And in fact, we get a glimpse of this from the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews in chapter 11 and verse 10, speaking of Abraham. He says, for he, that is Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He's, he was looking way beyond Canaan. He, he, he got it, as Jesus said, Abraham's seen my day and rejoiced. He, 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 he had the big picture in mind. He knew, really, that this was gonna go through all, all the earth. And, and he saw, you get the sense, he saw all the way through what the prophet Isaiah saw is the new heavens and the new earth. What Peter talks about is the new heavens and the new earth. What um, John sees in the Revelation, in Revelations chapter 21 and 22, is the new heavens and the new earth. And we've talked about this before, but you know that when we die and go to heaven in the presence of the Lord, that's not the end of it. That when we die, in fact, theologians call that the intermediate Step, the intermediate range or phase. We, we, we're soulless, I mean, I'm sorry, bodiless souls in glory in heaven. I don't know how that looks. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I don't you know, I, it's just there. And even Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to be away from the body and in the presence of the Lord is better than being here. But it's not the best. He desires to be clothed with his heavenly body. And that happens at the second coming of Jesus at the resurrection, you see. And these bodies are resurrected. And, and, and where do we end up? We end up in the new Jerusalem that he brings from heaven. Where is that? Well, this renewed earth and this heaven where God dwells with his people. And so please, you know this, we're not gonna be angels with harps floating around and all that sort of nonsense. We're gonna be human beings on an earth, renewed, restored. the sense, it'll be like, what would have happened if Adam hadn't sinned? And the earth wouldn't have been cursed. You know, you think this earth is beautiful now, especially in spots, and it is. Way till you see. I always tease, teased at my dad's funeral, that uh, he, um, I'm gonna catch myself, because this, I hadn't, really thought about this until now. Uh, but So I don't want to get emotional, but, but at his funeral, I, I mentioned that uh, behind his house in Florida, there was this big drainage ditch. And uh, in his retirement, because he's just, my dad was this kind of guy, he thought, I should clean this up. So he did, he terraced it, he planted flowers. Uh, he used to make these cute little butterflies and, out of wood and bird houses and birds out of wood and paint them bright colors and stick them in the ditch you know I'd call home and I'd say to my mom I'd say can I talk to daddy she'd say he's in the ditch and 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 I've thought about this and I have this picture of walking with my dad on the new earth and uh, we're walking along and and all of a sudden, we come to this big chasm, this big hole, this big valley. And when it's beautiful, there's birds and flowers and terraced and shrubbery and foliage. It's just gorgeous. And I, we look at that and we stop. It's breathtaking. And I look at my dad and I say, you know, I think I've seen this before. And he'll go, yeah, that's the ditch. I told you it was good, good to do that. Because that's what the new earth is going to be, that God's going to redeem everything. And all the little things that we do will be redeemed in such a way that we'll see their beauty. So the preacher Ecclesiastes said, he's put eternity in our hearts. You see. The new heavens and the new earth, Abraham saw that. He was going to be the heir of the world, you see. In fact Paul writes about this in Galatians in chapter 3 he says he says this all comes through the seed of Abraham now again just the wonder and the beauty and the wisdom of God this whole idea this whole word seed that he talks about it's translated offspring we can understand that to be as a collective noun or as a singular and Paul plays it both ways He says, all of us together, the spiritual offspring of Abraham. But there's this one seed through which it all comes through this seed, Jesus. And so you see, he's the seed that comes from Abraham why the Israelites were so protected up through the birth of Jesus. Why? Because the promise was made. He's going to come through them. So there had to be a people. And so they would always be, no matter where they were exiled, they always had to come back. And they always had to be a people. Why? Because Jesus, the Messiah, was promised to come through them. And he came through them, the seed. And, and so then all the families of the earth would be blessed. would be heirs of the world. That's us. You see, we're going to inherit the earth. How did Jesus put it? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, it'll be ours. It was to be ours. Through Adam, he failed. It's ours, through Christ. That's always been the plan. That God would be glorified. So. That's the promise. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness that is by faith. So so here, Paul's saying, here's law, one category, faith, another category. Law requires obedience. If you obey, then you are righteous. But that can't happen because we sin. Here's another category. It's faith. Faith. That means there's grace to receive a gift. Verse 16, that's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherence of the law, I think that's better translated very literally and simply. Not only to those of the law that is the old covenant, Jews, but also the ones who share the faith, the one who shares the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. Now notice, if it depends on faith, then it rests on grace. Not on our obedience, not on our merit, but on God's gift. Therefore, it's guaranteed. See, if we have anything to do with it, it depends on us at all. It's not guaranteed. The only thing that's guaranteed is that we'll sin and we'll mess it up. It won't be guaranteed. But because it's through faith that rests on grace, God's gift, then it can be guaranteed because then it depends on God. And it's guaranteed to all his offspring, his spiritual offspring. Then verse 17, as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. Now here's the last, well, the next to the last question. What's the nature of this faith then? What's the nature of this faith? What's it really like? I've Talked a lot about it. Now we're gonna talk about it in the context of Abraham's faith. What's it it really, really like? Now I mentioned uh, at the beginning that it's rational, it's reasonable. Because it's reasonable to trust a trustworthy promiser. That's the point of it, isn't it? We've always said faith needs an object. Faith alone means nothing. Faith needs an object. And here the object is God. For us, the object is Christ. And so if God, if Christ is trustworthy, that is, if he's powerful enough to bring about his promise. If he's faithful to do it, then he's, he's trustworthy. Was, some people think faith is just superstition, or some people just think faith is the opiate of the people. It just makes us feel better. Um, some people, uh, there was a television show uh, years ago called All in the Family that you shouldn't watch, probably, even if it's on reruns, which it probably is. But uh, there was a curmudgeon named Archie Bunker who was kind of the key actor, the key person in the show, and he, um, he defined faith. He said, faith is believing what no one in their right mind would believe. <laughs> See, that isn't true at all. More credible, uh, wrong person, Bertrand Russell, who was an atheist philosopher in the preface to a book of essays of his called Why I'm Not a Christian. He defined faith like this. He says, faith is a conviction which cannot be shaken by contrary evidence. Faith is a conviction which cannot be shaken by contrary evidence. Now, he meant that disparagingly. He meant the people who have faith in God, faith in Jesus are are actually unintelligent. But there is a sense in which it's true that faith can't be shaken by certain contrary evidence. But if you take all of the evidence, then it's reasonable and rational. And that's all played out, you see, in Abraham's life. First of all, he believed God. Notice, end of verse 17, he said, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. All right? Now, we get this idea of raising the dead, calling into existence the things that do not exist. We think of creation. But put this into Abraham's life, verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope. That's a Awkward sentences in this phrase. Uh, But we know what he means. He means he looked around and saw that it was hopeless. But yet, God had made a promise. And so, against what he saw, he hoped. He was realistic. We'll see in a minute. He was very realistic about what he saw. But he couldn't get out of his mind what God had promised. So, in hope against in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's, Sarah's womb. You remember, if you have some time, this week, read the story of Abraham, um, beginning of verse 12, take you. As far as you can, at least to 22, 23 in Genesis. But when finally God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm gonna change your name from Abraham to Abraham, which means father of many nations, and I'm gonna change your wife's name from Sarai to Sarah, which means princess, if you will. She's gonna give birth to many nations. Abraham laughed. Because he looked at himself and he thought about his wife and he goes, I don't see how this is going to happen. Now, you do know that the name Isaac means laughter, their son. In fact, when Sarah heard the news, she laughed as well. So he was realistic about what he saw, but still, he believed God. Not perfectly, we know Abraham's life. That's what makes this so fantastic to read. But still even, God says he did not waver. He didn't weaken in faith when he considers his own body, which was as good as dead. God was gonna have to raise the dead and call into existence that which wasn't, which was life from him and from Sarah. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God but he grew strong in his faith. Now, this is the question. How do we grow strong in faith? It's not by thinking about our faith. It's not by trying to muster up faith, right? It isn't by walking around going, I have faith, 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 have faith. It's by thinking about God. That's where our faith comes. He's the promiser. And we have to come to grips with the fact that he's powerful to bring it about and he's faithful to do it. And notice how Paul puts it here, he said, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He says, God, if this is gonna happen, you have to make it happen. I can't make it happen. If this is true, then you're going to have to do the work here. Because I'm old and she's old. This isn't going to work as we normally think. You're going to have to work through your great power, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But here's the final point why is Paul laying all this out? He's laying it out for the church in Rome. He's laying it out for us. He says, but the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. He says, you need to see this. You need to see this because, because this righteousness that was true for Abraham that came through faith is true for you through faith as well, through faith in Jesus. But he says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. How's the prophet Isaiah put it? All we like sheep have gone astray, each one according to his own way, but the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was delivered up for death, if you will, to the cross because of our transgressions. But then notice this. But raised for our justification. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus raised the dead. God could raise the dead. He raised Jesus from the dead. And that was the declaration that sins had been paid for and that righteousness had transferred from Jesus to the elect, from Jesus to those who had faith, to Jesus to those who would have faith from Jesus to those who would have faith this righteousness and the declaration see here's life this is the end game this is the end result of all of this and thus he was raised you see for our justification because you see how does this faith come well if we could just bump up in Romans a bit to chapter 10 and verse 17 faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, you say, How do we grow strong in faith? How do we come to faith? Oh, through the word of Christ, the powerful seed, the powerful seed of Christ. Peter talks about the, this, this seed, this imperishable seed that's implanted in us, this word of God. How did we come? We, Heard the word of Christ and by the power of God it was made effective in our lives. It brought us faith. We said, I believe Him. I believe in the promise of God that there's justification through faith, not by my works. I turn aside from all of that and I, I trust, I trust him. And see, we walk all the way through this so we could see the faithfulness of God. He made a promise to Abraham and he fulfilled the promise to Abraham. Jesus is here. We see the righteousness that comes by faith. We see that he's able to take those who are dead and give them life. As Paul put it in Ephesians, in chapter two, when you were dead In your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. You see? You do realize that as a believer in Jesus, it's because God can raise the dead and call into existence that which isn't, which is life and faith in you. Puts it like this in 2 Corinthians in chapter four. In verse four, in their case, that is unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, in other words, call into existence that which isn't, and let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, you see. You might wonder as I have, how can this be? <laughs> how can I be declared righteous by God, accepted by him for all eternity, be the heir of the world? How could that possibly be? He said no, no, no. I can take that which is dead and make it alive. I can call into existence that which isn't and make it so. He must've. He did for Abraham. And the question is he trustworthy? Well, again, lastly, this one final piece of Romans chapter eight, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's reasonable to trust me. Look what I've done. So here's the application of Romans chapters 1 through 4. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would bring revival in our church, in our churches, spread to our communities, to our country, and to the world. To pray the word of Christ would be made known I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take that word, that imperishable seed, and you plant it deep into the hearts of people that they might believe, turn away from themselves, give glory to you. And Father, for us as believers in Jesus, that you would strengthen our faith as we continue to look to you. Father, there is so much in the world contrary. I mean, we pray for our dear friends, brothers and sisters in Haiti because of this great earthquake. We see in other parts of the world nations falling, in our own country, the difficulties that we see. I pray that you would enable us to hope against hope. to trust in the trustworthy one, the one who's wise, knows what needs to be done, the one who is powerful and can do it, and the one who is faithful and will and has. So Father, work in us, I pray, that we might be strengthened in faith to follow hard after you. This I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.